0: You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one day at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started.
1: Kevin O'Connor. He is of practical masculinity, an intuitive, connected, powerful, and masculine life coach. Kevin has a way of seeing the whole person, asking the right questions and offering the right amount of support. His wealth of experience as a husband, lover, father, son, and now single adds to his experience as an entrepreneur, (laughs) helps him understand every situation. So Kevin, welcome to the episode and how did you find the path to being a man-coach, relationship guide, and dating, whiz?
2: Well, the way most people do, they discover what they do badly, and sometimes they invest some time and energy on uh, trying to uh, do those well, and then in my case, thinking maybe there's some lessons that I could have learned 20, 30, 40 years ago, and some struggles that I uh could have avoided, or I could, in a sense, impart some of the learnings that I have had over the last little while and share that with others and uh, motivate them to maybe skip some of the hardest stuff and be a little more successful. So it really comes from my own personal experience. And as they say, with any coaching, you're really coaching into yourself anyway. So all of these areas that I now coach into, these are all areas that I felt that I felt short in in my life and maybe I was struggling in and uh, that I focus some attention on.
1: Exactly. You can either go through it or grow through it. Once you squeeze the wisdom out of the pain, you, you know you can teach it, share it and help people evolve. So thank you for that. So tell me about your journey. You, you have a lovely line about being a husband, a lover, a father, son, and now single. Sounds like a story there.
2: Well, like many people, somewhere along the line, there was a life path that I was to follow. And like many people, that was influenced to a great deal by the external world, by parents, by family, by the social environment that I grew up in. And sometimes that path is not necessarily owned. It's not necessarily your own path. And so for me, it was overachievement, lots of education. I spent 10 years in college and university, as they say. I'm Canadian, so we say university. I'm in the States, they say college five different colleges and three degrees and, you know, overachieving, married early, children early, successful children, both children are independent, both are well-educated and sort of everything kind of lined up and I was married for 30 years. And then at some point in my life, things started to unravel, but not massive. Sometimes you can have these massive breakdowns and then you go, wow, okay, that's a wake-up call. More of a Kind of like an insidious, kind of like just an undercurrent of unhappiness and not really feeling, and restless and not feeling I knew what I was called to do and what my role was and not knowing how I could make a difference. Business guy, lots of of business experience. Started multiple businesses and love that, love business. Uh, Real entrepreneur, have a real sort of risk-taking personality. (laughs) I'll try anything. And then it was working until it wasn't working. And the marriage was working until it wasn't working. And I didn't really know and have the skill set to be able to make adjustments in those really substantive things like relationship, communication, intimacy, problem solving, conflict resolution, creating harmony, resiliency. All of the things that sort of foundational in relationship, they were never part of my, my focus. I wasn't skilled in that area. And so, as in any cases, there was in many relationships, those, that unhappiness manifested itself, in my case, in infidelity, in making decisions in my life to help me cope with my situation. And those decisions were actually not productive decisions. Those were decisions that really avoided me taking responsibility for having to work through what was important in my life. And instead, using those distractions as a way of of avoiding and being in denial about what wasn't happening in my life. And that's a lot of what happens in life is that we make decisions about gambling or addiction or to pornography or substance abuse or infidelity or pornography. These are all things that we use to sort of somewhat distract and self-medicate and numb what maybe is a painful process that we're trying to avoid. Usually if you make those decisions and you avoid the ones that you need to deal with, things don't work out. And in my case, it didn't work out until they worked out. I'm a big fan of that saying, uh, you know, everything works out at the end. And if it's not worked out yet, it's not the end. And so that created disruption in my life. And I left my marriage and I went kind of like on a, a quest. I sold my business. I moved from one side of Canada to the other side of Canada. I downsized significantly and I started to do some personal development work, some more community service and get kind of in touch with who I was and then reinvent myself. And I say that as things got unraveled, I was left with this big pile of yarn. So I had to knit it into something and I knitted it into a new life. Otherwise it would just be this unraveled thread or yarn and it would be a mess on the floor. So that's my journey, just a, a breakdown and then a breakthrough.
1: Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your truth. It's not easy to share those kinds of stories and behaviours, so that takes a lot of courage. And I celebrate your willingness to do that. Here, I think people are in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. But the lifetime used to be we had what was it, two score and ten, or something? We'd lived to sixty or seventy. But now we have the opportunity to live well past a hundred with godlike technology and the different kinds of health profiles we have today and particularly if you engage in taking care of what you need to take care of. So consequently who you know I was um, married very young to my first husband and within 10 years of us being married he died suddenly. So I had this sudden shunt where wow this could happen at 27 <laughs> like three little kids what are you going to do now? And then unfortunately I got to experience not such a pleasant marriage with 20 years and what I discovered was Sometimes people are not going to evolve with you or their life path is they're very happy where they are. Or as you've said, they've chosen addictions or something else. And for me, I certainly went into the professional space wanting to ensure that my daughters had choices and education to live their lives very differently. But I had to come to terms with internal dosing. Using the brain's chemicals like adrenaline and anxiety and cortisol and things that make you very can make you very high performers when you're worried about something. So sometimes you know we talk about the external substances and are not got a lot of awareness around the internal substances. You know that we, mm-hmm. we our brains can create and consequently, as you said, if you don't face forward and deal, then you continue down to that bottom with destructive behaviour. I love what you said. It's not the end until I've
2: lost it. So everything works out in the end. And has it worked out, it's not the end yet.
1: Oh, a lot of wisdom in those words. Yeah.
2: And then the other one that I love is, I think it was the Dalai Lama said that, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Um, Oh,
1: very good. Yes, which,
2: Which, you know, it's really, you're presented with these moments in time where there is a great deal of pain and upset and how you deal with that and the choices you make determine whether or not you know that was a painful moment or a painful period in your life or that you're going to continue to suffer through and repeat that with the thought process you were talking about the chemical processes in the body and there's this sort of interesting field that's kind of evolving and it's called a uh, physical intelligence which is the look at the understanding of how movement and the body reacts and creates different chemical cocktails in your bloodstream which will, in fact, lead to an experience of a different range of motion. So we've always known, for example, that in event of anything kind of stressful, like public speaking or something, that just stopping and breathing diaphragmatically deeply will reduce our blood pressure and will slow down the respiratory rate and and settle us down. Well, they know exactly what chemicals are released at that time. They're the chemicals that take us more into a, a relaxed state. As is, when we move, I think they've done some studies that suggest that 70% of new ideas and great ideas come usually when a person is in motion. So motion is a great way to activate the brain. So they're now understanding that not only is emotional intelligence really important, but body awareness is critically important. And it's not like it's a new revelation. It's just understanding that the things that athletes have gone through and chess masters and people who are meditating and all those things, they're tied together, the average person. It just means you really knowing what your body's telling you and being able to make changes in your body and then thus change the emotional state you're in. It's quite interesting.
1: Oh gosh, the complexity of being human and the different intelligences and how they work, like your heart and the intelligence of your your cellular intelligence. That's a really interesting area. We could probably talk for ages on that, but I'm going to bring you gently back. I'd love to hear about your online dating stories. And I'm curious, did you online date while you were still married?
2: No. So what happened was, and I think this is not, this is not atypical. I mean, I came out of the marriage and then realized that, you know, I had to do some dating and this is after sort of things had worked through through. So I had a 22 year old son and I said, so how does this work? He says, well, you know, there's this app called Tinder. And I said, okay, let's do it. So come the, you know, a few photos, get the app down on my phone. And I set up my first dating profile. This is like big stuff, you know, I'm in my early fifties and it's like, it's time to, so I remember sort of, he was explaining how it works, you know, And I remember my first match. I was so excited. Somebody matched with me and they wrote, you know, hello or something. I said, all right, we're in conversation. So I wrote back and later in the day, my son comes over, he says, how's it going? He says, I'm kind of discouraged. He said, well, I've got one match and I wrote them and they never wrote me back. He said, Well, Dad, let me see what you wrote. So he's reading and he he's reading and he's reading and he's reading and he says, Dad, you don't need to write them a letter. You know, you dad any woman will look at that and go, The poor lonely man. You know, I had line of how are you? And this is when my life is in like I just thought, you know, we were, you know, in my mind, we're sitting in the bus or on the plane, and we're going to have a conversation. He said, "Dad," he said, "Dad, that would have scared that person away completely." He said, "The purpose of it," and he gave me a couple tips, and so I began to kind of dig into this. Now, at the same time, I was going to uh, counseling, and I would go out on dates. And I would be on a couple of dating apps and I would come back and I'd go to counseling for that week. And my therapist would say, so how's it going? And I said, I had a date. And after about two or three weeks, he would say, I don't think you're actually doing, your dating. I said, well, well what you? He says, You're doing some sort of research. Like you come back with a new story and a new theory and a new, I said, he said, hey, you just may actually be you know, called to be able to be really good at this. So here's the remarkable thing. I actually dug into it. And I've spoken to a thousand women over the last six years about their experience in dating. It became like, like, you know, some people watch Netflix. I'd be like, I'm going to talk to this. this what, what would she? And I would change my location. And it was this very cathartic, positive experience made huge. I uh, have a large number of friends and it became my uh, kind of something I dug into. So I became good at it and I became comfortable with it. And I became familiar with what most women and men were experiencing. And so that has led me into my um, process now of, of launching my online dating coaching program. This first version is going to be for uh, women, alpha feminine women. And I talked to you a little bit about that and, and I will go back to that before the show. And I'm quite excited because my belief is that you can actually use this as a tool. It can be effective and you can integrate it into your dating journey. It's not this scary Place that you go and hope that things work out, and my lord, look what's happening. And they said this, and where did that come from? And I didn't know what to do. It can be quite intimidating, or it can actually be a, like a worthwhile tool. So, that's my philosophy. So, again, it comes from me figuring, well, I better learn this stuff, I better get good at it, and digging into it.
1: Yes, well, I started doing the research and decided to do the online series because I'm not going to respond to someone who says, hello, hi. You're, I like your photos. You're beautiful. Like there's no lead into a question, a conversation, and they've probably not read the profile. And you know, you're getting hit on Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest. You know, people are messaging you, but it's. Some you know, I often wonder if it's, I don't know if I got my terms right, but like catfishing or scamming, but it's like. Well, there
2: is, there's a huge amount of that going. In fact, there's an article recently, I think it was in, I forget which journal it was in, but just it, it especially over through these COVID times, how the number of scams, online dating scams. And, and I know I'm very good at picking them out and calling people yeah. on them and reporting people, but there's a pattern to them. And they're really looking for somebody who's in a place in their life where they're really needing to talk to somebody. Mm. And they are very good at being able to target those individuals, engage with them. And they'll take their time. They'll take weeks and weeks and weeks. And they'll have very effective ways of being able to avoid actually any voice calls or any FaceTime. And then they build rapport. And eventually, at some point, they need a little support, a little financial assistance, you know, Mm. and then comes the pitch. And they've got... The scammers have dozens of these on the go, and they're moving through these apps daily. That's their job. And you know, if you're in Nigeria and you're scamming somebody in North America, and they're going to send you two thousand dollars, that's a pretty good month's earning. And so you can sit there all day and just keep working the numbers and, and pull people in. But it's, it's it's quite sad, really.
1: Well, the numbers are huge. I think it was the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, or something. It's like forty-two million, and it's way up since COVID. You know, the isolation is really tough on people, that's for sure. So mm-hmm. what about some stories about when you were online dating? Did you actually meet people and get to know oh, them? I, yeah, there?
2: so so there's a whole bunch of reasons that we online date. What the first thing I say is that you should really be honest about what's bringing you to an online dating platform. And there are things that I would call flirtation in the face of boredom. So sometimes a person will match up with you in the evening, and really it's as if they're sitting next to you at a bar, they don't have anything to do, they're having a drink, and they strike up a conversation. If you ask them at that moment in time, is this person really somebody that you're going to ask out, that you're going to pursue a relationship? If they were really honest, they'd be saying, No, I just felt like having a conversation tonight with a stranger. It was really easy to do. So it's what we call the come from. What is your come from? Why are you online? And what is your goal? What is your intention? And if you aren't honest about your come from, you know, you're going to end up hurting people's feelings. So if your goal as a man after a divorce and you're three months post-divorce is just to get your mojo back and start to feel like you can connect with people, start having conversations with women and just get to a place where you're feeling just like a little bit more intact and stable, then you need to be honest about that so that the person who's there saying, I'm ready now to find my Mr. Right isn't going to invest all this time in what you're really doing is using that as a way to feel good. You're not actually interested in dating them. You're interested in the endorphins that come from the exchange. And that's, you know, lots of people go out on, the serial daters, many times they go out on a date, come home. Someone says, how was your date? This is a great date. And then someone says, will you see them again? I don't think so. And this is particularly the case for men. And he said, well, you had a great date. If the guy was truly honest, it was because he was going out and the date itself made him feel good. He was looking at the date as a therapeutic moment, a moment to heal. So he's in pain, he's bored, he's struggling. That exchange, he felt really good, feels good. He goes home, what a great evening. But he wasn't actually interested in the person. He was interested in the experience. And that's using the pattern of a serial dater, that the multiple dates of multiple people, they're affirming, validating, making them feel good, but they're not actually interested in having a relationship. Be honest about that.
1: Yeah, you make a great point. I tipped my, dipped my toe in December 2019, and I discovered that there were men who wanted to come home from work, have their dinner, listen to the news. Then they'd go on the online dating and they'd want to talk to you. And it either turned into therapy chat or just a loneliness check-in. So they had someone to speak to, a a woman, because they may have worked with all men. And I came to spot that, this is New Zealand, so I don't know if this happens elsewhere, but there were young men who were looking to talk to women up to 90 years old. And when I asked one chap, I said, you know, I'm not going to date someone your age. He says, Oh no, but you're a great conversationalist. And I said, is that why you like women up to 90? And he's like, Oh yeah, they've got history. They've got life experience. They want to hear about my day. (laughs) And I was like, wow, this is very interesting. Like I was, I was kind of shocked that young men were, you know, picking me. And then I was like, this is not a spiritual partner. This is not an equal, you know, I wish you well, but this is not for me.
2: And recognize there's also the other side, which is there's a, a sensual or a sexual attraction sometimes between age differences. So the 25, 30 year old man is really being drawn to the 55, 60 year old woman at 45. And we, we make jokes about it in society, like, oh, she's a cougar or a milk or whatever. But it is a, that is a, an attraction. It's real and it's a powerful attraction. And it happens both with uh, young women and older men and younger men and older women. And then don't forget, there's also the the sugaring side, which is the younger man or the younger woman who's looking for financial support, a benefactor, somebody who can enter into a mutually beneficial arrangement. So there's an exchange, it's a commercial exchange. You provide some financial support, I am devoted and attentive to you. So we're really just he- emphasizing that the, the online dating world represents A myriad of relationship opportunities, just like the real world. And if you don't know what you want and you can't pick up these subtle indications, it is kind of scary and intimidating for people.
1: Yeah, great point. Absolutely great point. Was at university in my 30s, and I did my doctorate in my 50s, and I was quite amazed at the attraction of young men you know i have two sons so i was a little leery of it but you know i was kind of what am i doing like this isn't what i'm here to do (laughs) you know what i mean so thank you i've never had the answer to that in terms of you know the young old switch it's very interesting yeah usually and
2: also you know there's a The formative years for people, the imprinting of their sort of sensual and sexual preferences and desires influences the life choices, the partner choices they make throughout their life. So we have that moment in adolescence where we're evolving and we're turning from girls to women and from young men to men. And if there is a sensual component and a situational component, and depending on the family dynamic. There's this imprinting that sort of fits into our style of sensual expression, and that's carried through with our life and depending on our life situation. So the strong, intelligent, maybe overbearing is certainly directive mother who's raising a couple of young a young men. And these men are associating, and then there's, you know, there's the mother's friends are equally attractive and dynamic. And these young 18 year olds, 17 year old men are, are seeing these powerful directive take charge, positive women in their life. And lo and behold, they become 20, 25. And there's a 40 year old woman who has that kind of energy and they find themselves drawn to them. Now they're not thinking that they're not associating that with their adolescence, but There was something happening as they were evolving and growing into young men that imprinted. And they took that into their sexual preferences and how they express themselves. So the analogy that I use is that online dating is like going to the world's largest amusement park without a map. And you go in there and you end up in the wrong section of the amusement park. And it's a carnival. And there's like The House of Horrors, or there is, you know, the freak show, or there's something that is just like it's like how I was coming in here. How did I end up here? Well, you just didn't know where you were going, and you wandered around, and you leave, and someone says to you, "What was it like in there?" And you said, "It was terrifying. I'm never going back." And somebody else says, "I met my husband online," and you're like, "How did that happen?" Yeah, he's the sweetest guy. We connected. We actually went out. It's like, did you go to the same place that I went to? Because the place I went to, there was a lot of weirdos. Well usually that could be random and just be a fluke but the people who master this know exactly why they're going into the park where they're going to go you know i'm going to the food court where there's international fair and i'm heading right to there and i don't need to go on the double decker ferris wheel or something like that i'm going here so it is what you want it to be and what you make it to be they're not dating apps by the way they're just databases just Human databases, and they represent a cross section of society. And you probably need to learn how to interact and uh, know exactly what your search criteria are and what it is you need to match up with. Because there's no really dating algorithm that's going to say, like, I put this in and I met Mr. Perfect. It's just like it's wide open database.
1: So, so I would love to hear your experience of maybe a good date, a strange date. Are you willing to do that?
2: Absolutely. I'll tell you, some people really get a feeling for somebody right away. So I'll tell you a situation really early. I remember I like to speak on the phone as early as possible. So I invited the person I matched up with in the dating site, maybe we should have a quick phone call because I get a feel for someone that way. She said, sure, I can usually tell within 30 seconds on the phone if there's chemistry. And I'm like, wow. In my mind, I'm thinking that's that's pretty quick. Maybe she, she knows something I don't know. She's been doing this really, really well, really long time, and she's very good at it. So I called her and she picked up the phone at the same moment UPS came to my front door. And I was like 10 seconds on the phone. I said, oh, UPS is here. I'm just gonna get a package. I'll come right back to you. And and no, like no goth, this is what she said. I've heard enough, I don't think we're a match. And like I was like 15 seconds on the phone. And I was like, wow, you are, she knew within 15 seconds. And of course, like, you know, I was thinking, and I actually said to her, wow, you'd be director like you are. That was a lovely meeting you. And I got my package and I thought, wow. And I, I wouldn't have said 10 words. So that was kind of an extreme situation. I recently was told of a dating story that I, I think has a number of lessons. This one isn't about me. This is a friend of mine who went on a date. She connected with the gentleman on the Monday. They decided that they would have a phone call. He invited her out on the following Friday, so five days later. It was a nice sort of cordial conversation. And they got off the phone. They set up date time, four o'clock. They were going to go up to patio on a rooftop deck and have a drink on a Friday. It was summertime. It was California. She was looking forward to it. And then the texts that evening. Hey, that was really great. I'm looking forward to getting together with you. The next day, more texts. Until by Wednesday, there have been 20 or so texts. He was is very enthusiastic and uh, called a couple of times, missed calls. Like, wow! And her instincts were like, "There's something a little, you know, you can be too enthusiastic. Just you can't." And that sometimes sends a message of urgency or neediness, or that you're there's not enough happening in your life that all of a sudden this person you talked to for thirty minutes is pivotal in your weekly happiness. She didn't. Part of her said, "Like I don't know, maybe I should cancel." But she said, "No, I'm I'm going to go through this." So they made she had made a decision to meet him on a park bench out in front of the restaurant. She's sitting at the park bench, and it's four o'clock, and someone sits next to her and says, "Hi," and she looks, and there's a resemblance to the man that she's talked to, but she realized this man is considerably older, heavier. He doesn't really seem to be the guy in the photos, but yes, it is the guy in the photos, but he was clearly using a set of photos that were quite dated. And this was what he had. His hair was not quite as salt and peppery and he was not as thin. And he, he didn't, it wasn't the man really that was represented. And she just felt so discouraged because part of was like, I didn't even want to go. And well and she, anyway, she started to panic. She said, ah, this is not going to be a good time. So they went up to the rooftop deck. They're on the rooftop dead. She says, excuses herself. She's going to go to the restroom. And she says, My friend's downtown so here. Her office is down here. I'm going to text her. I'm going to say, You know, so she texts her from the washroom. And I think she used Expletive, but it well, would come by here and get me the, you know, save me because this is going to be a bad experience. And she texts and she says, It's send. And then she washes up and she looks down at her phone to see if her friend is responding. And she notices that she didn't text her friend. She texted the man she's on the date with. So now she's in the washroom going, I just sent the guy a message that was tended to my friend to get me the F, save me, basically, save me, come save me. So she says, what am I going to do? Am I going to run away? Um, I got to face the music. So she walks out on the patio. His back is to her. She walks toward him. And she says, oh, great. It doesn't look like his phone is on the table. And drinks are arriving. And she sits down. And then out from under the table, he pulls the phone. He holds it up and he says, am I that repulsive? And she just, you no. Know, so many emotions came through her. And she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then he, she said, I'll look after the drinks. He said, of course you will. And he got up and walked away. So that story had so many messages. In it. I mean, there's so many layers that it's kind of like, you know, encapsulates kind of the online dating thing. You know, one is, Please make sure your profile represents who you are. No filters, no posts. Like if you if something changes in your appearance significantly, there's everybody. There's everybody. There's somebody for everybody. So be honest about who you are. He didn't. Number two, understand when you connect with somebody, if you're in your masculine and you've asked somebody out. Be content with the fact that you're going to see somebody in four or five days. And if you find yourself having this anxiety or this anxious attachment, why is that? Why am I texting this person all the time? What am I looking for? Am I looking for validation that she's like? What is that all about? Reflect on that. So, you know, he, she felt good about his initial call, but he, he was off-putting. Third, her instincts told her, I don't think the fit is there. There's something not right. I don't think I should waste his time. And, and she didn't listen to her instincts. And then the other one, and then the last one was like, you know, you set a date up with somebody, you live with that. It wasn't that he was abusive or nasty or mean. It's like, have honest, frank discussion. And it's what what a wonderful opportunity to say, have a drink and say, you know, I'd love to share something with you. I love to share that this, and I hope this feedback is taken the right way. Can I give you some feedback? And just a couple of times this week, I felt myself being uncomfortable when you were texting me and also... Your profile is so different from how you're showing up today that it it took me, just took the wind right out of me. I just was so, you know, just I was caught off guard. Most men will appreciate that kind of honesty. And she chose instead to try to get rescued. So kind of like a story that highlights so many different things about online dating and the opportunities in front of us. And you step into them or you face the consequences. And both felt really bad at the end of that.
1: I'm really glad that you're doing the course with my Background as an attorney, I've had to deal with lots of people angry, sad, bad, and otherwise. So I could get through something like that. But also, I agree with you. He probably would have been a very interesting person to have spent a little bit of time with, but he had already poisoned the pool by not showing up as who he was in the first place online. So that triggers trust issues for women. You know, we're vulnerable physically as well as mentally and emotionally, not more so than anyone else, but. Those concerns are on any woman's mind going out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, Am I going to be safe? And more importantly, I've found myself, I've actually called them therapy chats on dates. And once or twice, I've had to say, you're talking about a marriage that dissolved 12 years ago. This time should be spent with a counselor or somebody. I am not a professional. And I didn't say, nor am I available to be your counselor because you Mm -hmm. can't have a relationship with your counselor. Mm -hmm. And secondly, um, my years of rescuing people are done,
2: you know. A good question around that is like, as we said, what are your, as you st- he starts talking about the relationship, I just want to know, what are, your, what are your goals for tonight? What did you have in mind for our, our chat tonight? And he will probably say, well, I wanted to get to know you or, you know, I wanted to get out. And you say, I'd love to give you some, you know, can I give you some loving feedback? But if that was your goal, we're going down a different route because what I'm hearing you do is talk a lot about your sadness, the pain your marriage and that doesn't seem to be lined up with what the goal that you set for tonight are now and there's an opportunity to self-correct it's always great if someone just gives you a moment early on in a date to self-correct because otherwise you go through the date and um, you spend your valuable time with each other connecting and you and you miss an opportunity to get to know somebody and feedback builds connection
1: absolutely i did a divorce recovery workshop after I got divorced four years, before well, as in the process of the divorce. And one of the pieces of wisdom were for every five years married, do not date for a year, clean up your house, your side of the street. And I found that incredibly valuable. So it's been four years now, but I'm still hesitating and researching, mm-hmm. and checking and considering. And as I said, I did dip my toe in and I was feeling like I'm, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm you know, if I can't be kind and respectful, I'm not, I should not be out on a date or on a dating site.
2: As you bring that up, there are two questions that I think every person gets to ask somebody when they're thinking about going on a date with them. And there is obviously going to be a moment where you talk about previous relationship. And I think when a woman asks a man the following questions, she's going to get a really good idea if there's something promising in the future or to stay away. And the first question is, you were married for twenty some years, whatever. And he says, "Can what part of the breakdown in the marriage do you think you were responsible for?" So you and I both know, and you're a lawyer, so you know that there's no such thing as no fault, like complete, like everybody played a role. Now, there could have been infidelity, there could have been disruption, mental health issues, like could be lots of extenuating circumstances. But at some point, there's something that. Maybe one person could have done differently, or done less, to have or changed it, their approach. That it would have had led to a different outcome, or even a, slight, a slightly different outcome. And if a man can't take responsibility for one element, you know, like could be as simple as I was a workaholic. I worked nonstop building my law practice, or my I'm a physician, or I had a small business, and I just I was never home. And I realized like eventually like. I was, was not there. I, di- I, I didn't show up in the marriage. Now, she may have made a decision to uh, have an affair or something like that. And it may have been very upsetting. And, but he recognizes that he played that there were some circumstances that he had some control over. So the first thing is you want someone to be able to say, this part was my part. And then here's the, the this is the million dollar question. Since you have such awareness and insight, can you tell me what you've done in your personal life to ensure that that doesn't repeat itself in your next marriage, your next relationship? So you can say, this is who I am, this is what led to my my breakdown, that if you're just leading your life the exact same way, chances are it's going to replicate itself because you've already accepted responsibility. So accept responsibility to do that means you make some sort of course correction as well. If they can't find anything That they think it was their fault they're probably a narcissist because they you know everything's the narcissist everything's everybody else's fault and if they do know what they did and they haven't done anything they're probably not ready yet for a new relationship because they're not taking an opportunity to work on the stuff that's interfering with their relationship and it's probably interfering with other relationships in their life their children or something you know if they have an anger problem if they work too hard they have a substance abuse problem if they are severely ADD and they, you know, they, they could have an addiction to or whatever, there's something that they get to work on that will allow them to feel like they're ready for the next relationship. So those are the two things that I, I think are quite helpful.
1: Whoa, deep words of wisdom there. I think it's the millionaire matchmaker from years ago. I think I heard her say, past behavior is a good predictor of future behavior. So if you're going to consciously evolve, I love the fact that you look back and and I've certainly done that in terms of even though I've been widowed, I looked very carefully at that 10-year relationship and also valued so much that he did well and realized I was so young and didn't appreciate what I had. And the gift to me was that I had such a quality marriage, but I didn't know because I came out of a very dysfunctional, violent childhood. So I didn't see happily married people in my household. You know, I struggled with things like feeling bored because there was no crisis going on and things like that. A lot of Michelle's secret thoughts here. But then in my marriage, which was affected by addiction, well, I had alcoholism going streaming through my family tree. So consequently, that was normal for me. So coming out of Mm -hmm. widowhood, I flipped from a very good relationship into the un- most unhealthiest I could find because that was normal and I knew how to play those games and survive and, you know, thrive and survive and that only goes so far. But yeah. what I now know at this stage of my life is if someone's not going to evolve or consciously show up, they're not going, we're not going to suit because I'm going to be such an irritant. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm also not going to value somebody who sometime will recede into an adolescent place you know my life is too Mm -hmm. precious and my body's a temple so i'm not willing to put myself in dangerous situations emotionally physically spiritually or mentally now you know that Mm -hmm. i'm more discerning of the choices i have on who is involved in my life and how they're involved
2: let's dissect a couple of the world's words that you use because you know evolved you know You could have male listers now going, like, what does that mean when a woman says evolve? So I I wanted to sort of, you know, my practice is called practical masculinity. Here's a couple of things. And here's the number one thing that a man can do to sort of get with the program and sort of be able to relate to that kind of language. And it's called good manners. You know, in the beginning, good manners were created so that you could save somebody from having like, the pot water thrown out over you on the street below. And so you had to choose which side or the mud from the, you know, whatever, splashing up on the dress. But the people who created manners and they're brilliant, they actually created a way for men to be present and mindful of their partner. You can't have good manners and be oblivious and not present of your partner. So if we talk about some of the good manners that are out there, like, you know, when your partner needs to excuse himself from and the restaurant to go to the restroom, you get up. When they get up, and they excuse themselves. And when they come back, you stand up, you take the chair. And you, well, if you have that as a manner, you're not going to you can't ignore them and be on your phone when they come back and not know that they've come or gone if you are opening, if you open somebody's door for them, well, then clearly you are present to you're aware of where they are physically next to you. So if, if someone says like, I don't really know what that means to sort of be present, I say, learn, like exhibit really good manners and you will, they, like, they will, you will be doing it. You'll be present. You'll be mindful. You'll be engaged because you, you can't, you know, like the, the, if you're going to order it and the menu is there in front of you and there's a television up there and you realize that it, I should take a little responsibility and look at this menu and make some suggestions or engage or talk about the food. Well, you're not going to be able to watch the TV on the wall. So manners are like a brilliant way, if you have good manners, to be able to be mindful and present and connected to your partner. If that's all you do. Like when you're, if that's all you do, when you're, you're, the, the, you're walking in the mall and it, your partner has bought something, you grab the bag and you carry it. These are all things that are just good things to do, that you walk beside them, you don't ha- walk ahead, you know, that if you're going to go through the door, you open the door. If you're going to a dark place, you enter first. Like th- there's probably only about 15 things. If you did that, your partner's going to be like, wow, like I'm hanging out with somebody who just knows what what's going on in my life. You could still be thinking and somewhat distracted a little bit. You may not get it perfect, but you're certainly going to do better than somebody saying like, uh, oh, we're we've an equal relationship." What's this opening the door, closing the door? Whoever gets there first is like, "You can do that," or you can take responsibility for doing something and see the re- results with your partner. Does that make sense to you?
1: Absolutely. And manners make of the man. I have three grandsons and two sons. Believe you me. I'm very sensitive as, as to whether they have good manners around females. But more importantly, you mentioned phones. And there's a new word out called "thubbing," basically, to be on your phone and stubbing the people who are around you. I find that so disrespectful. And, you know, my man meter drops dramatically. If I've made the time to be with you and my phone is off and put away, if you need to be on your phone, I clearly do not need to be here. and. Right. And manners, absolutely. And I have another one, and it's probably peculiar to me. I really appreciate a man who knows how to dress smartly, but wears a pair of dress shoes that are shined. I'm not sure men know how to do that anymore.
2: Okay, so I'm going to go with both of these ones because this is a good one. Here's the great, here's the one when people don't get the phone thing. I say, imagine this. You put your phone down, I'm going to give everybody here a paperback book. We're all going to go to the restaurant and then you pull out your book and you start reading. How would that feel? Oh, that would feel so weird. Like we're all sitting there. We went out to dinner, but the book, your book comes out and they start leafing through the book and reading your stories. And I said, Would that seem a little odd? That's just, that's rude. That would be weird. Like, a fa- look at over that family. Everybody's reading a book. They're, they're out for dinner. It would seem so weird. I said, That's what you're doing on your phone. You're choosing. external stimulation rather than engaging with people and also the other one that drives me crazy which is along these lines is like the like the bank of televisions and i'm slightly add like they 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 made my life like things flash i look at them you know like and that's the intention of those things now there were no when i was younger there was there was a tv maybe in the corner of a bar or something but there were no things Hung from the ceiling, that wherever you looked, it's like you could see some, see something. And people think that the, they're not aware that the reason they're up there is that they're designed to capture your attention, so that ultimately you can purchase something. That they you are getting a uh, there's an arousal addiction happening. They need your time and energy, and in order for you to buy something and consume something, people you need to pay attention to it. So that's all about capturing your attention. Is that's what they want. They want to own your attention because when they own your attention, they ultimately will own, there'll be a commercial transaction. But people are thinking that it's entertainment. It is. They've got you thinking that way. But really what it is, is they have lassoed and pulled in and captured something that's very special and that's your attention. And they've taken it away from the important people in your life. And there are all sorts of, they call them excitement engineers, people who come from the gambling world, And are now working in social media and they're designing interfaces and stimulation to get you away from what you're doing and get it on the phone, get it on the television, because that's when they have you. When people are distracted, they make other decisions. Then you, you can sit with your family eating dinner and enjoying your dinner. That's a that's a novel concept now. But the shoe one, by the way, is it's interesting because. I've heard that a number of times. I've even seen it in people's profiles that a nice pair of shoes shined up, that a woman will notice that. And I don't think most men would know that. And someone will even know if it's a leather shoe, if it's a leather sole. Like they'll they can tell it's a quality shoe and something I think most men are kind of oblivious about. So I keep promoting that.
1: <laughs> oh I'm glad I'm not the only one out there, but yeah, fabulous. So I'd love for you to share with my audience about the work that you do, programs that you have.
2: Absolutely. Well, the one that I'm most excited about is called The Dating Recipe. And it is for uh, the first version is for women. And I'll do one for men as well. But it's really about helping people set themselves up for success in online dating. It's a four-week course. There's an hour and a half Zoom call once a week. It's a small group. I'm shooting for 10 to 20 women. uh, My demographic is usually the middle years people who are wanting to find somebody that they can spend some time with and really don't want to randomly, you know, get online and experience rejection or being ghosted or, you know, having somebody speak to them in a way that is offensive. And they want to take control of that process. And it's a fun process. I will actually, will do profiles. We talk about love languages and non-negotiables and your come-froms and what are you wanting, talking about good dating, online dating habits, just basically some mastery cooking up your own recipe and you can actually access that by and learning more about it by going to my website which is practicalmasculinity.net and there's a section called uh, the dating recipe so that's exciting that's coming out I will launch either the last week of March or the first week of April it runs for four weeks and uh, I've got it discounted because this pot this is the really the pilot this is going to be a fun group we're really essentially going to craft this thing for future success so I'm really welcoming people in who are wanna dig in and have fun and give me feedback. I love feedback. And my coaching is I do that online like most people do through COVID and I have for quite a few years. And that information is on the same website. My Instagram is coach Kev O. C for O'Connor. And come see me. I've just resurrected that or I kind of rejigged that a little bit. So I love to have followers. I love to have people engage with me on my Instagram as well. And I'm passionate about helping people avoid going through some of the things I went through. Getting that, getting to where I'm at faster, maybe 10 years, 15 years earlier. I'm in a great place, but you know, life is going to find a number of years. So let's see if we can get where we can a little faster, a little less uh, suffering.
1: Well, you certainly can fill the niche because I think what you're offering is most definitely received and being able to do it in a closed group with a consummate coach is a wonderful idea thank you for being here kevin
2: my pleasure and uh i loved our discussion and it's great to talk to somebody who's in a similar place in her life and sort of find her way through her second life and maybe in your case <laughs> it's your third life That's fun
1: perhaps
0: Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating. But more importantly, share with your connections.